to where we want to be this morning. And uh, we're in Mark chapter 4, as was just read for us. Um, and, and while we're going to notice that Mark 4 is the, the parables of Jesus as, as Mark records them, one of the things that is interesting about what Mark is doing is he is giving an answer to a problem that has arisen in chapters 2 and 3 of that gospel. Even remember in chapters 2 and 3, we are witnessing everybody rejecting Jesus. The scribes have rejected Jesus. The Pharisees are looking for a way to kill Jesus. And remember, even his family thinks that Jesus is out of his mind. And they've come to take him back because they think that he doesn't understand what he's doing and he's gone slightly nuts. And so you're reading in chapter 3, everybody's rejecting And the end of chapter 3 asks this question, who is going to follow Jesus? And the answer that Mark provided at the end of that chapter was uh, a a picture of, well, who's my brother and who's my sister? Who's my mother? Those who do the will of my father. These are my family. These are the ones who belong to me. And chapter 4 now is going to explain Why are there some who are accepting Jesus and following Him? And why are there those that you would think would be accepting Jesus, but they're not? That's what this parable is about. In fact, it's all four parables or that, but you don't have an hour and a half, so we'll just do one today. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Remember, we've seen that a lot. Margaret keeps recording, the crowds are thronging Jesus. Everywhere Jesus goes, there is a press of people always there. There's so many people that they can't get into the house when they want to have a healing. You have earlier, we've seen in in chapter 3, the crowd is so great that we're told that they are crushing Him because they're trying to touch Him. Here again, we are seeing the same reception. Great crowds are coming to Him by the that he has to step into a boat and he's preaching from the boat to the shore where all the people are gathered to him. Verse 2, And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since there was no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, since it had no root, and it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And one of the things that you have to like about when Jesus does these parables is Jesus tells a story and he doesn't explain it. Now you're going to say, well, there's an explanation later. Yeah, not to these people. (laughs) Notice the very next line is not. Now let me tell you what that means. That's not what happens. Later on, the disciples are going to come to Jesus and go, what are you doing? (laughs) Why are you teaching like that? 
well, what is going on? And I want you just to see the the setting of the table in the scene with all of these crowds coming to Him. Verse 3, I want you to listen and see. And then He just tells a simple story. And then He ends it in verse 9 by saying, now if you have ears to hear that, I want you to hear that. And walks off. Done. You'd be like, what are you doing? Well, I think that's important to see what we're doing. Now, verses 10 through 13 are really important to this. And often there is a rush to get to the answer. Okay, what did that mean? So I have like commentaries that will say verses 1 through 9, comma, 14. I'm like, you need this middle part right here. It's critically important in understanding what Jesus is doing. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? This is an important transition that is made here. As now they come to Jesus and say, what are you doing? Why are you teaching like that? What does that mean? You're going to have to explain that. And Jesus' answer sounds extremely confusing, doesn't it? Jesus doesn't come out and go, well, the reason why I talk like that is because I need to simplify my message and make it really obvious and dumb it down so they'll understand. That's not what he says. In fact, sometimes we treat the parables that way. As if, well, Jesus is kind of dumbing down a message to something obvious. Jesus can actually argue the opposite is what he's doing. He's not simplifying the message. He turns and tells them and says in verse 11, you have the understanding, but these others don't, so that, verse 12, indeed they may see, but they're not going to get it. They're not going to perceive. They're going to see it, but they're not going to get it. It's kind of like how you talk about your kids, they heard you, but they weren't listening. Yeah. They're going to hear, but they're not going to get it. They're going to see, but it's not going to sink in. They're going to indeed hear these things, but not understand, or else they would turn and be forgiven. You have a tendency to read that and think, so is what Jesus saying is that what he's trying to do is make sure they don't understand. The reason I tell them parables is because by telling them a parable, they're not going to understand. And when they don't understand, they're not going to be forgiven. That's kind of what that sounds like, doesn't it? I mean, if you kind of just read that, you go, what are you doing? I mean, that answer, you almost read it all the more. Okay, let me ask that again. What are you doing, Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. Why are you telling parables so that they will not understand and be forgiven? Shouldn't you be teaching things so that they will understand and be forgiven? Well, the key to understanding what Jesus is explaining is in Isaiah, because you'll notice your Bible might mark there, and you give you a little notation there, that he's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 6. 
And in doing that and understanding what Isaiah is saying will help us understand what Jesus is explaining about his mission. If you remember the context of Isaiah, when did I do Isaiah? That was last month, right? It's more like four years ago at this point. But um, when we went through Isaiah, remember the context there in those first five chapters is a condemnation of the nation of Judah. Here's the people of God, and they have not been what God has called them to be. They have been sinful. You get imagery of them being planted as this beautiful and choice vine, but it's fruitless and degenerate, and it's going to be ripped out, and God is going to start over. And then chapter 6 opens up with God commissioning Isaiah. You may remember this huge throne room scene, and the train of the glory of God fills it, and Isaiah is there in this vision, and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips and come from an unclean people. And you have then God responding to that with these burning coals, forgiving, atoning for his sins. And then God asked this important question. I heard a voice. This is verse 8 of Isaiah 6. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And here's Isaiah's answer. Here I am. Send me. Now watch what God says. He said, go and say to this people, and now watch, here's the quote that Jesus gives. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing and do not perceive. Make their make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Notice Jesus gives his answer for the parables as a quotation of Isaiah 6. Now think about what just happened here with this picture in Isaiah 6 for a minute, because that's also a fairly strange answer. Here's the condemnation of the people of Israel. Judah is going to be judged. And God says, I need somebody to go out for us. I need somebody who I can send and proclaim a message. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And God says, now here's the message I want to give to you. Here's what I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them, keep on hearing, but do not understand. And keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And I want you to make their hearts of the people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Notice it's the same question mark that you would have in Jesus when he said it, that Isaiah would have had when he heard it. Preach a message that's going to cause them to have their hearts dulled and their eyes blinded. What? Is God saying, I don't want anybody to be forgiven, so that's why I want you to go preach a message so that nobody can be forgiven. That would obviously stand opposite of the whole Scriptures. (laughs) Why would you send Isaiah to preach if the goal is condemnation? Well, they're already there. There's no need for that. The point that Isaiah is learning is, I want you to go and preach to the people, but guess what it's going to do? As you preach Isaiah, what's going to happen? They're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. And they're going to see you and see these words, but they're not going to perceive. And in hearing what you're saying, Isaiah, their hearts are going to get even duller and duller. 
And they're going to understand less and less. And as you keep preaching, they're going to stop listening. Otherwise, if they would listen to you, they would turn and be healed. But as you keep proclaiming this message, they're going to get dull in the heart and not turn and not be healed. In fact, if we had time, the very next line, Isaiah goes, how long am I going to do that? And the answer is, till Judah is destroyed, till their condemnation is full. I'm going to keep sending my messengers and my word to them is to change them, but it's not going to happen. They're going to get duller. They're not going to listen. They're not going to obey. And this is the idea of what Jesus is getting at here. This is the picture of what God, Jesus is trying to proclaim here. Jesus, why do you teach these parables? And notice Jesus kind of just takes the whole context of Isaiah 6 and drops it right here and says, here's why I'm teaching like that. Because this is what God's word does. Because God's word is going to harden hearts. And so I'm teaching in these parables and it's going to cause the same effect. And notice that this is a pivotal, a pivotal uh, parable. Because what Jesus is going to show here is that the teaching of parables is going to cause one of two responses. Either the hearer is going to come to Jesus and ask him, what do you mean by that? Or they're going to listen to that and go, that's crazy. I don't care. And walk off. Why are you teaching in parables, Jesus? Because what Jesus is doing is sorting out who wants to be taught by God? Who wants to learn? Who wants to listen? Who wants to hear what God has to say? And who is going to hear the words and go, whatever. That's what the intention of the parables are for. Notice that Jesus is not simplifying God's message. He's actually saying it in such a way so that people will have to make a decision. Do you want to figure out the answer or not? Do you want to determine what that means? Or are you going to be content to go, I don't understand, never mind. That's what Jesus is doing here in this very pivotal parable right here. And it's interesting that that's the way God's word works. It is going to be the theme of these next two lessons out of the parables. Is what God's word does is challenges the ears. It challenges the heart. Have you ever read something and you thought, I have no idea what that means? (laughs) Oh yeah, me too. So I have a library of books. What in the world does that mean? That's that's what God intended. Why would you do that? Are you trying to make it hard? No, not in a way that you'd be like, okay, nobody can understand. But what Jesus does is he teaches in a way to see, do you really want to know God or not? Are you willing to dig deeper? Are you willing to ask questions and find the answers? Or will you simply walk away? There are so many examples of that in the New Testament. One that's most notable. Remember when Jesus starts saying, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have life. What do most of the disciples do? 
They don't go up to him and go, what do you mean by that? That's a really odd thing to say. They all leave. Jesus turns to his twelve and goes, you guys see? Do you all want to go? Or do you want to figure it out? Do you want to learn? Do you want to understand? Or do you just want to hear something and say, well, that's hard, I'm, I'm out. That's what Jesus is explaining to these disciples. He's going to tell them, this is what I do. In fact, if you'll notice at the very end of this whole section, down in verse 34, here's Jesus speaking these parables and says, He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to His own disciples He explained everything. Now, is He being mean? Telling hard parables to the crowds? And then, okay, I'll explain it to you guys over here. No, who wants to follow Jesus and find out the answer? Who wants to hear what he has to say? Who wants to find out what that means? That's why he says this right here. And notice why this parable is so important. Verse 13, he said this to them. Do you not understand this parable? This is pivotal. If we do not fully grasp what Jesus means by this parable, he says you will not understand any of the other ones. He tells them, if you don't get this one, how do you ever expect to grasp any of the other ones? And then he goes about and he tells the answer. Verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no such no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold. And a hundredfold. It's important to notice that this parable is a parable about how an individual hears. Most of our Bibles will say this is a parable of the sower. And you might notice this has nothing to do with the sower, it has nothing to do with the seed, it has everything to do with soil. It is a parable about soils. It is a parable about an individual who is hearing the word, who is hearing the seed that the sower is casting. This is the picture. This is what this parable is about. It is all about how you listen because every time the word of God is spoken, there is a spiritual battle that goes on in your heart. Every time God's word is read, every time God's word is proclaimed, every time God's word is heard, there is a spiritual battle that occurs in that moment. And this is what Jesus is describing here. He says the seed is being cast out on the soils, on the hearts. And there are all these different responses that happen. Remember, this is an answer to chapter 3. Why is nobody following Jesus? Why is Jesus being rejected? Why aren't the scribes and the Pharisees following Him? Why does His family think that He's out of His mind? Is there a problem with the seed? 
No. Is there a problem with the sower? No. It's a problem with soils. It's about how you listen to the things that Jesus is saying. And what Jesus then does is describe these four hearts. If you've grown up in the pews, you've probably heard this parable 145 million times. And fair enough, but it is important that we don't miss what's happening in this parable. In our exuberance to get to the end of the story, we may not have applied it exactly as Jesus had intended. What you have here in this first picture of this soil that's given to us is in verse 15, these ones that are on the path, this hardened ground. And notice the imagery is is very simple, is that immediately that that seed is taken away from them. There's just nothing that happens there. There is this picture of the unresponsive heart. The Word of God is proclaimed. And absolutely nothing happens. You may have experienced that yourself or with other people. You may have asked the question, how is it that I'm so excited about the word of God? And I start talking to other people about that and their eyes glaze over. Well, he's describing this is one of the hearts right here. This totally unresponsive heart. There's no movement. It doesn't even get into the heart. It just bounces right off. There is zero transformation, zero fruit, zero acceptance. None of it goes in. It's like hitting concrete. It just bounces right off and it's gone. He says there is a heart like that. There is a heart like that. There is that kind of thing that is going on that as the word of God is proclaimed, there is absolutely nothing happening. In the second one, verses 16 and 17, he speaks of a shallow soil, this rocky ground. I have always misunderstood the imagery of that. I've always pictured it as rocky ground like there was like this dirt and all these rocks. And that always bothered me because... I somehow have weeds go be- grow between the cracks of my concrete. And I'm like, well, what does it matter if you have rocky ground? They seem to grow everywhere you can grow something. But the idea is you only have about that much soil. Underneath that soil is all rocks. So you can't get any depth. It's not about rocks being interspersed with dirt. It's about you have about an inch of topsoil and just hard rocks underneath. And so it can grow a little bit on top. But there can't be any depth. That's the imagery that's being given here. This shallow heart. And notice there's enthusiasm. That they receive it in verse 16. Immediately receive it with joy. But because there's no root, they endure for a while. And then when tribulation and persecution arises on the count of Christ, immediately they fall away. It pictures one that receives the word. The word comes in. But then there's a challenge that happens. And what happens is there is difficulties in life that come from obeying God's word. There are obstacles that come. Tough decisions that have to be made. Think about how often that happens in the lifetime of Jesus as he's teaching to people. And they're having to make these tough decisions between following God and Family, or the Pharisees are going to do something to them, or the Sadducees are going to do something. 
or the crowds are going to do something. There's always this tension of, are you going to forsake everything and follow Jesus and deal with the consequences of that? Or are the consequences going to be too great? He describes that as a shallow soil that is excited about the word, but as soon as a trial comes, as soon as difficulty arises because of serving God, the plant doesn't last. Verses 18 and 19, he describes a worldly heart where it says it's sown among thorns of the cares of the world. Verse 19, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word and it proves to be unfruitful. Everything else is on the mind of this person. Notice again, they receive the word, it comes in and notice there is a difficulty in it. There is a challenge in it. There is a problem. And what happens is the distractions of life, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, all the busyness of life all comes in. And it says that it chokes out the word and it proves also to be unfruitful. The final picture is in verse 20 of this receptive heart. And notice of all of these, this is the only one that is able to bear fruit. And as you pull back and think about this parable, what Jesus is intending is you listen to this parable and you ask yourself, what made the difference? What made the difference that this one has able to be fruitful and the other ones were not? And it was all about the heart. It was all about the heart. What Jesus is doing with this parable, as he is going to do with all of the parables, is essentially he is laying down spiritual tests. He is speaking these stories as a spiritual test to determine what kind of heart are you? Which heart do you possess? So here's Jesus teaching And he's teaching some strange things. Imagine it. Here you are in a crowd. Jesus is standing on this boat. He probably takes his seat, pushes the boat out a little bit. Here's this massive crowd all along the sea. And he just simply says, all right, I want you to listen to this. There's a sower and he cast some seed and he threw it on this hard wayside ground and the birds plucked it up and it went away. And then he threw it on this shallow soil that was rocky underneath And it grew for a little bit, but then it dried up and scorched out. It was gone. And then he cast some seed over on this thorny ground, and it grew, but it got choked out. And then it landed on this good soil, and it produced fruit. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, boys, push the boat out. Let's go. And they leave. And they're gone. It's over. And everybody's just left going... Why did Jesus do that? Let's see whose heart is which. Whose heart will be completely unresponsive to what Jesus just did right there and go, that was nuts. That was a waste of time. We're done. Which are going to go, hmm. But then as they're thinking about what he said, you know, there's going to be pressures. Sadducees, Pharisees, religious leaders, you don't follow that guy. Don't listen to him. And they're going to go, okay. And then there's going to be those who are going to go, hmm, that was interesting. Ah, back to life. Let's get back to everything. And then there's going to be those who are going to go, we need to find him. Where's he going? We need to ask him more about that. You notice, you know, watching some of these gospel events, the people are going to follow him all over the lake. 
<laughs> go on one side. There they go. They go back to the other. There they go. There's some people trying to figure it out. That's the whole idea of what this parable about is about. This message is so big and so fundamental to everything that Jesus is going to do in the rest of not only these future parables, but the rest of the account that Mark is going to tell. Three ideas that I want you to give. Two are broad and one is directed right at at, at us. Number one, what Jesus clearly tells us is that the kingdom is going to grow in the face of opposition. Notice there's no surprise. Jesus doesn't go, I am stunned that I didn't have 100% participation and acceptance of everything that I said. What is going on? (laughs) Jesus goes, let me explain to you what's going on. God's throwing seed. And it is expected that the seed is going to be cast in the face of opposition and in the face of rebellion. And he's telling his disciples, they're going to reject. There's going to be all kinds of people who are not going to listen. They're just going to completely turn it down. They're going to get choked out. They're going to get scorched. They're not going to have any interest whatsoever. But don't be discouraged by that. We live in a time right now, friends, where we can so easily get discouraged with being a Christian and serving God and proclaiming the Word because we look out and go, everybody hates God now. Nobody is serving. Nobody cares. And that's not any different than the way it was in Jesus' day. Jesus said, they're all rejecting, they ain't listening. He doesn't tell a story where all of them received the word. He's describing people and it just bounced right off. I don't even care. Don't be discouraged. To be sowing seed, proclaiming God's good news, faithfully live as a Christian, telling others about Christ, And think there's something wrong when you receive massive resistance. There's nothing wrong. That's the way it works. I've mentioned to you many times, we have lived in about a 250-year anomaly of world history right now where it was acceptable to be a Christian. That's totally historically unusual. We're reverting back to the norm. Where being a Christian meant being an outcast. Or being a Christian meant being persecuted. We're moving back to the norm. We're moving away from what has been abnormal all this time that we've enjoyed. And Jesus is saying it that way. People are going to reject. People are going to absolutely reject. And what's going to happen as you teach your friends and you talk to other people and you tell them about God's word to your neighbors, your co-workers and all that. What did God say to Isaiah is going to happen? What did Jesus say is going to happen? Hearts are going to get duller. And you're not supposed to be phased by that. You're going to scratch your head and go, well, what's going on? I'm teaching them right here in God's Word. I must be doing something wrong. No, you're not. No, you're not. This is exactly the picture that's being given. There's nothing wrong with the seed. There's nothing wrong with the sower. There's absolutely nothing wrong with any of those things because fruitfulness only comes from a receptive heart. We stand at a dangerous, pivotal moment where there is going to be the great temptation as the increase of resistance to God's word happens. That what people are going to say is what we need to do is change and modernize the message. 
We need to do things differently. We need to shake it up a little bit. Let's get a band in here. We'll get some camels and a manger. And we'll shoot some fireworks. And we'll do all sorts of neat stuff. And everybody will come in. We need to do that. And that won't change one thing. Because it's not about the seed. And it's not about how the sower threw the seed. It's all about how the heart received the seed. Don't be dissuaded when there's rejection. When they reject you. When they say, you're crazy. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you go to church every Sunday? Are you a fanatic? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. They're going to look at you like that. They're going to call you all kinds of names now. You're going to get every name in the book now. You're every vile thing on earth at this point now. They're going to call you all that. And Jesus was saying, don't be surprised. Jesus, is he doing something wrong? That everybody's turning away? That all of chapter 3 is a full-blown rejection of him? Do you think he was teaching it wrong? He needed to change it up a little bit. Jesus, you know, need to kind of pull, circle the wagons, pull back, rethink how we do this. We need a new pro- program. We need a new project launch. Let's try this a different way. You're going about it all wrong. That's what we would do. Jesus just goes, nah. I'm just going to keep telling parables because I'm trying to sort out who wants to hear and who doesn't. The issue then is simply the heart and absolutely nothing else. The issue is the heart and nothing else. And it breaks our heart to see that that's the answer. You can't change people's hearts. I entered into this profession thinking I could. That was didn't take long to break that one. <laughs> if I could just say it just right, and I could just do it just right, I, people would listen. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. I could stand on my head and say the Bible backward and it wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> it's the Word of God that does the work, not me. And we can't be discouraged by resistance, rebellion, or opposition. But I want us to recognize the big message. While this encourages us to go out and teach, there is a big message that Jesus is doing here as he makes this his intro parable in the Gospel of Mark. Because what Jesus is intending is for every individual to evaluate their heart. The whole point of what this parable is about is to determine what kind of heart do you have? Which kind of soil do you possess when God's word is proclaimed? There is a spiritual battle that is occurring every time God's word is proclaimed. And what you are learning by the proclamation of God's word is which heart do you have? And it may be that we have the completely unresponsive heart. And as I just said, I am not going to go through these as if I'm going to pretend that I'm going to change your mind. Because I know I can't. But what I want to just simply tell you is that if what God's word is doing is simply in one ear and out the other, literally, that you're going to walk out of here and this will have not phased you at all. That what Jesus is picturing 
And what Jesus is showing is you haven't given God a chance. You think you've given God a chance because you're sitting here. But you haven't given God a chance at all. You haven't allowed the seed to hit the heart. It has bounced off hard ground and has already been swept away. Do not make an evaluation on God, on Jesus, on faith. On the basis of, well, I was here and I didn't get anything out of it. That's the unresponsive heart. But Jesus said you didn't even give it a chance. The seed didn't even have opportunity. You didn't let it go into your heart. You didn't give it any time. And to be aware of that, that we are recognizing that this is not a failure on God's end, but it speaks to the resistance of our own hearts to not receive what God is saying. There is the unresponsive heart. It just bounces off. The second one. You hear the word of God. But then you stop listening because life gets hard. That's the second heart he describes. As you're listening, you, you've heard it. But now you don't hear it the same way anymore. It doesn't hit your heart like it used to. And the reason it doesn't hit your heart like it used to is because life is hard. Because trials have come, difficulties have arisen that comes from serving God. There's the realization that there are sacrifices that have to be made, that we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him, that serving God often is uncomfortable, that we are met with resistance because we love God. And as we have that resistance and we face those difficulties and we have those trials, what do we have the tendency to do? But stop listening in the same way. We pull back. It's too great a demand. You're asking too much, too hard, too difficult. This is the kind of heart he's describing. The root is shallow. And again, I do not pretend that I can change your mind, but I want you to be honest with yourself. Is that if the root is shallow, you are missing out on having a glorious and wonderful relationship with God. You're missing out on something. You haven't allowed your roots to grow deep. You haven't been able to taste and see that the Lord is good. You think you've tasted it, but in fact the root is shallow. You've only had about that much dirt. And you need to dig more and let your heart grow and let that seed flourish in you to not let the difficulties of life sway you from driving closer and drawing nearer to God. Number three, I think this one would be the most likely of possibilities. He says there in verses 18 and 19 that the heart gets choked out by the busyness of life. We stop listening the way we used to listen because the desires of this life block our hearing. So caught up in this world, so busy with life, busy with work, busy with family, busy with hobbies, busy with comfort, busy with life. 
that the word is completely choked out and there's absolutely no growth and no fruit. On our anniversary of month, this last month, April and I walk, walked around the Gumbo Limbo Park at uh, Boca Raton. There's this re- really neat tree there. And growing right next to it was another really neat plant. One of those strangling plants that just grows right up the tree and wraps around it and wraps around it and wraps around it. You can just see it just sucking out everything out of that tree. The tree stands. It isn't going to make it. It's just getting choked out by this vine that's wrapped around it. Jesus describes the cares of life, the riches of this world, all of the busyness as that. Just choking and sucking out everything that you could have toward God. You're just losing it. It's such an interesting picture that he uses here. The tree is choked out and it cannot be fruitful. And again, I do not pretend to think that I can change your mind. But again, I want you to be honest as you evaluate your heart, as Jesus tells his parable for that evaluation, is that you are missing out on the joy of true Christian life because you haven't fully experienced what God has to offer. You are allowing what the seed could do and the power of what it can do in your life to be ripped away because of what happens Monday through Saturday and all of the cares and all of the busyness and all of the worry. Finally, we know if we are a good soil, he describes it because we are able to bear fruit. And this is what Jesus is telling these parables for. is because he wants to see who is going to pursue him. And this is how we know if we have a good heart. You can boil it down to this idea of good soil. Do you desire to want to know more and more of God? It's really as complex as these parables can sometimes be. The message always comes back to a very simple idea. You can ask yourself and evaluate yourself. Do I want God more and more? That I want as much of Him as possible. I desire to get close to Him. I want more time in His Word. I want more time in worship. I desire Him. Or, I wish I could be doing anything else right now but this. That's what the parable is. He drops a parable and says, now who wants to spend the time to find more? Who wants to go home? Who wants to spend time and dig deeper? Who wants to go home? Who wants to get back to life? And who wants to come and taste what God has to offer? That's the parable of the soils. And I encourage you to think about which heart you have today. And we are here to help you. If you evaluate your heart and you say, you know what? I'm one of those first three. I haven't let the Word of God do anything to me. I came here because my parents made me. Somebody forced me here. You know, some kind of thing like that. Or you came and you said, well, I know I need to be here, but now I've got all these other things i got to do. I know I should be here. Whatever it is. We want to communicate a message to you that says... There's more. There is so much more 
them coming to church, punching in an hour, usually an hour and 15 because of me, and going home. There's so much more. Have you given it a chance? Have you let the Word of God come in? Or is it being choked out? Is it being scorched out? Or is it bouncing off the heart? We're here to help you. We want to help you in that pursuit. Will you come to Jesus this very day? Turn away from your sins. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us help you in that pursuit. Let us help you walk with God. Let us show you the things that you can do to draw deeper to God. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?